Welcome leaders, aspiring leaders, equity warriors, policymakers, educators, and barrier breakers. This is the Leaders Building Leaders podcast with me, Dr. Paul Coakley, Superintendent of Multnomah Education Service District. We are a pod dedicated to elevating voices, empowering others, speaking our truth, rethinking systems, and giving people their flowers. It is my pleasure to be joined today by Dr. Charlene Williams. Dr. Charlene Williams has deep ties to the Pacific Northwest. She spent the last seven years as an administrator in Southwest Washington Public School District, most recently as Deputy Superintendent of Evergreen Public Schools. She supervised district leaders, led the development of their district's five-year strategic plan, and launched the Superintendent's Advisory Committee. Williams previously served as Assistant Superintendent in the Camas School District from 2016 to 2022. She supervised principals, designed professional development opportunities, and facilitated district leadership meetings and trainings to better align district services and supports for students. This included facilitating the adoption of the district's first equity policy, establishing affinity groups for staff and students, and the creation of community forums for Camus's residents to discuss equity issues. She was the recipient of the Washington Association of School Administrators Award for Promoting Access, Equity, and Social Justice for Students. Williams previously worked for seven years at Portland Public Schools, the largest public school district in Oregon. Her last role at the district was as a senior director of school performance. Williams arrived in Oregon in 1999 to become a math instructor program coordinator and curriculum developer at Portland Community College. Before serving as director, she served as principal of Rosemary Anderson High School and Roosevelt High School in North Portland. In July 2023, she was selected as the interim director of the Oregon Department of Education. Her appointment was approved by the Oregon Senate in September of 2023 for the permanent role as the director of the Oregon Department of Education. It is my pleasure to be joined today by Dr. Charlene Williams. So Dr. Williams, share some of your key early life experiences that influenced you with your passion for education and what led you to the pathway to, of educational leadership. Uh, that That's a really loaded question. I think there were several experiences along my journey. I mean, from um, how I was raised, um, you know, my mother, I later learned, um, who, who had severe mental health issues, literally uh, left me outside and told my father to come get me at three uh-huh. months old and said, um, I, can't, I can't raise her. So... Um, Growing up in a household with my father and grandparents, I learned that, um, you know, love looks uh, different and families right. look different. And um, it just just there was so, so much around my influence um, and the way I was raised that just 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 really solidified why education is so important. You know, growing up with a, a lot of factors 
I had educators who poured into me, who saw me, gave me books, encouraged me, all the way up until uh, I was in high school. And I had two math teachers who pulled me aside and they said, um, what are you going to do, young lady, to improve outcomes for uh, women and minorities in mathematics? They say, you know how we used to hear it, they say, they say women and minorities uh, don't do as well in mathematics. What are you going to do about that? My first response was become an engineer. Okay. And uh, I said, like, because, you know, I, I was participating in regional council for the advancement of minorities in engineering. Um, that was a group that intentionally went to middle school and provided people of color doing awesome and amazing things in the field of STEM um, and continue to do things like math club and other competitions through high school. And then I got hit with this question and I thought the mechanical engineering was the right answer. But upon further uh, investigation and self-reflection, and I always tell people the story of when my pre-calculus teacher slipped on the French fry and she hurt her hip in the cafeteria. She was out for a week and the sub did not know how to teach math. And so they, the, my pre-calculus teacher said, well, Charlene knows the mathematics, so why don't you have her teach the mathematics okay. and keep the class in order? <laughs> And uh, that was the agreement we had. And for a week, my senior year, I taught pre-calculus. And it solidified my commitment that education was really the path. If I was really going to make a difference so that your gender, your race, your socioeconomic status, right. uh, your ability, um, uh, no, no identity factor should be perceived as a deficit. It actually should be perceived as an asset contributing to why your contribution to the field of STEM is important and powerful. So um, that is a little bit of some of the experiences, a little bit of the why, why I went to math education. It wasn't really to teach kids math. It was really to open the doors, remove barriers, and awaken the mathematicians within. Um, I'm a firm believer in, you know, that education is not the filling of a pail. It's the lighting of a fire. And right. I try to bring that fire with me wherever I go when it comes to serving our students. Thank you. Um, if you could give your 18 year old self some advice, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. I think the first thing is you just don't know what you don't know. <laughs> um, and to stay curious and try everything and um, really continue to ask those questions. I used to always be a person in the room who, you know, someone's explaining something and uh, I'm not getting out. I'm, I'm the first to raise my hand and ask questions. And I'd be surprised at the number of people who would leave the lesson or the classroom or whatever it was and say, I'm so glad you asked that question. And it was, I was always curious, well, why didn't you, you know? And, um, you know, we're here to learn. We should be curious and, and asking questions. Uh, but, you know, just kind of the, the shame around learning and being vulnerable um, uh, just needs to be removed so that we can, we can really explore things boldly. And so to be brave, ask those, continue to ask those questions, build a cadre of mentors and supporters right. and, uh, people that um, have the same vision as you or even beyond you um, so that you can draft off those wonderful ideas and energy to um, build that, that forward momentum. 
You talked a little bit about this, but did you always want to be an educator? Uh, yeah, not not always. You know, I think at first I really wanted to um, sing back up for Michael Jackson or Prince. My best friend and I used to call in the radio station and um, ask the DJ to play certain songs. And, you know, we, we listened for those auditions for singers. And, uh, you know, so from a little kid uh, having aspirations of um, doing doing probably a, th a lot of things we, we see student our, our little kiddos hoping for. And right. then as my experiences and ideas matured and I learned, you know, um, you know, like I said about my love of mathematics and STEM and those opportunities that was that were intentionally cultivated by educators and community members who who saw the opportunity missing in our schools and said, let's draw some attention to it. Let's put some resources in it. Let's build, you know, opportunity and program and help these kiddos. You right. know, my families didn't pay for my, for me to go on some of those trips with the um, uh, teams and doing robotics and whatever, um, you know, those are resources from school and community investments. And so, um, that was, that it's important to have those kinds of experiences. So are you a good singer? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, beauty is always in the eye of the beholder, right? Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm good in my car. <laughs> uh, right. I'm good in the shower. Right. You know, we do a little bit at church on Sunday. <laughs> so, yeah. So talk about the three most influential people in your life and how did they impact you? Three most influential. So I talked about those teachers and that haunting question. Um, this is, this is, it's probably going to take a turn, but, you know, there was a professor in college and they there were, you know, I, I went to school at North Carolina State at a time where there were um, professors in various departments that necessarily didn't believe in uh, women engineering or women in, you know, uh, STEM related fields anyhow. And so I actually had a teacher who um, really uh, scrutinized one of the lessons that I submitted uh, for Lots of what I perceive now, looking back, very minor technical issues and not necessarily looking at the, the content that I, I produced in terms of teaching a lesson. I remember it was on complementary angles and supplementary angles and all of those things. And um, he made a comment to me like, uh, I don't know that you're cut out for education or teaching, you know, because of, you know, what he perceived to not be the best lesson plan. And it infuriated me. And so um, this so, so the fact that I'm able to carry something positive from that interaction is is miraculous. But one thing that I used to hear the same um, professor say uh, to a student that was struggling and did not perceive himself as a mathematician and wasn't getting it and wasn't getting it. Um, he said to this poor student, he said, you know, because the student would say things to himself, I'm stupid, I'll never get mad, I don't understand it, uh, you know, I'm not math material, you know, all the things. And so the one thing that this math teacher said um, that has informed my approach is this, it is not that you're stupid, it is that I haven't learned how to teach you yet. Right. And... That has been my North Star, and I try to, um, 
with any educator I've had the opportunity of collaborating with, working with, supervising, whatever have you, that has to be our stance. We haven't figured it out. You know, we'll sit with a teacher or a staff member and they'll like, I've tried everything. Okay, let's name them. Let's walk through. What was thing one? What was thing two? Right. You rarely get past thing three. And so it's how do we really unpack strategies and help our educators uh, figure out how, how to amplify, elevate the mathematicians or uh, readers or scientists or yeah. biologists, you know, how do we do that in a way that becomes pervasive and, and not the exception? In our circles, there's always a need for us to clarify the work we do. How would your family describe the work you do? <laughs> That's so awesome. My, my family, you know, we're a pretty fun group. And, you know, probably like many families, we have our own jokes and language and my, my kids were pretty much raised in school with me. And so right. being an educator, it's easy for educators to kind of, uh, or, or students and parents to kind of have a little insight into what school means. But, you know, when I got this new job, she was like, Mom, are you the superintendent of the superintendents? <laughs> <laughs> I said, right. okay, uh, well, I guess that's a way to look at it. Um, uh, or the principal of the principals and, you know, um, and really, I think, again, uh, my stance, my philosophy, especially as a leader, is I'm, I'm really the lead learner. If I, if I don't continue to learn and, be, and, and if I'm not able to interpret and translate things in a way that really helps kids, then, um, you know, that doesn't align with who I am and what I'm called to do. Um, if I'm really going to make a difference, I have to continue to be humble, work with the stakeholders that I'm called to serve and, um, this job gives me that opportunity, but they have fun. They, they're saying they're really proud of mom. They, at least they posted it. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they gotta be. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about mentorship. So for me, um, mentors have played a significant role in my uh, pathway to K-12. And when I talk to leaders, uh, they like to share. It seems like we've all had those type of influential mentors. Um, who was that for you? And what, um, kind of profound impact did a specific mentor have on your journey? Oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I've had many mentors and I, you know, when I look back, I think about, um, you know, how students have mentored me, parents have mentored me. I'll never forget the mom at Roosevelt who slammed a newspaper down and said, you gonna let them write about us like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, ma'am, it's maybe month two for me on the job. I'm a you, you know, let's talk about it. And it was an article that had all this kind of deficit language about students and families. And she was like, you know, I'm a single mom. My kid is here every day. They're dressed. I, I can't make every meeting because of my schedule. But that doesn't mean I'm not a committed, involved parent and so on. And just the 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 education that, you know, if we if we pause and we shut up long enough to listen, mm -hmm. um, you know, they are mentoring us, our students and our families. Right. Um, and so um, that spoke volumes to me. I think about the student who sat in my office and mirrors me in a lot of ways, same skin complexion and um, hair texture. And she's just looking at me, rotating her head from side to side. And she says, hmm, so you, you the principal. So you the principal. <laughs> 
And she does this a couple more times and it just amplifies again, the need for how representation matters. Right. And just to how important um, having an open door and creating real talk um, opportunities for students and communities to come speak their truth is so important. So that mentorship is key. And then the latest specific one that I have is Dr. Tammy Campbell. She's a educator oh, yeah. in Washington state. And I told her, I said, I'm a preacher for bees everywhere I go. I'll give you credit, but they are mine too. <laughs> and the, the four bees being, um, number one, we have to believe. We have to believe in the unlimited potential of each and every scholar. We have to see them and their scholarship potential. And we have to cultivate that. I think hopefully you've heard that in this conversation. You, we have to create a culture of belonging. And I believe as much as these bees apply to students, they apply to staff, they apply to parents, they apply to community members. These bees, we have to believe in one another. We have to create spaces of belonging and be intentional about that. Um, we have to be remove barriers. We have too many barriers. Some are baked into policy and procedure and laws that we need to unpack. And I now um, have a little bit more opportunity to see behind the scenes of how those things are created or um, undone. And then the final B is broadcasting student voice. Okay. Broadcasting student voice, doing all that we can in everything that we do. How do we come back to center? You said it in, a, in our previous uh, meeting that sometimes there's events that happen in education where we have to center on adults. But it would be so nice to keep that focus right. on our students. Yeah. Thank you. And I just want to um, give uh, Dr. Campbell her flowers, too, since yes. you mentioned that. Uh, yes. Yeah, she's great. Um, so in your opinion, what is the most um, specific trait or strength that somebody needs to be successful in educational leadership? Humility. You can't come in here with a thick ego thinking you right. know everything. Um, you have to create space again, like I said, as lead learner. You need to have passion, vision, ideas, and clarity like never before, but you have to write them with a pencil and have your eraser ready because <laughs> you will have inputs yeah. that show you otherwise. Right. And so I think it's important to have a dose of humility in this role. Thank you. As a leader, how do you personally approach and navigate challenges or setbacks? And uh, how do you build a culture of resiliency with the people that you work with? That's awesome. Um, that's a very good question. First, I, I start with me. If I'm not doing the things that I need to do to take care of myself with my regimen, routine, mm -hmm. to stay grounded, reconnect with my values, um, you know, I feel it in my body when I'm, I feel like I'm being pushed out of integrity, if, if my margins are thin and I'm losing patience and, you know, I have to plant my feet on the ground, take some deep breaths, maybe call somebody right. like a Dr. Camel said, look, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is where it is. Yeah. So I, I got to get me grounded. And then um, just like those four B's, I actually use those as a framework for um, asking staff to show up right in our workspace. Yeah so that we create that culture, um, you know, with one another 
as we are also then trying to, you know, so we do that work inwardly, which allows us to do that work outwardly. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you know, education, the landscape is rapidly changing. And from what I know of you, uh, you always stay uh, up, up on the latest research, uh, best practices, you're innovative, and you work to um, ensure continuous improvement. How do you do that as mm. an educational leader? Oh, I love that you call those things out. I'm really trying to um, find ways to bring us back to center around what are the best practices in teaching, yeah. and culturally responsive practices and centering our students and all the funds of knowledge they already bring mm -hmm. um, and knowing that they are there if we create the space. Um, so I, I think, you know, how we do it is, yeah, number one, reading and staying up um, on the latest research. And also, I think... Um, monitoring uh, and doing rapid cycles of, you know, improvement and um, and just being doing that action research on the ground, because it's it's so easy, you know, with, you know, like our scores just coming out, et cetera, to hover at the high level. Yeah. How do we get on the ground and know when I walk into a classroom, I see the moves right. that are going to make a difference. And if I'm not seeing the moves, I have structures in place to have the conversation, provide the resources and support and just go down the line, you know, in interviewing and, and monitoring students and having conversations with them, talking to like putting all the structures in place yeah. so that we get the outcomes that we deserve. Right. Strengthening those systems. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm uh a big advocate of uh, master the morning, which is like my morning routine, but I'm interested to know what does your morning routine look like? No fair. I haven't heard what your routine is. Uh, it's a secret. It's but a it secret. starts, I'll give you it. I wake up at five. So mm -hmm. it starts there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then it's starting to, it's included a lot of cardio, oh, but, okay. <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you go into yours. <laughs> That's funny. I, my morning starts at four. Uh, oh, wow. I have about, it used to be 3.30 and then the pandemic came. But, and so I recalibrated a little bit. Um, and I get up and I do, um, I have about 10 minutes with my husband and we just kind of chit chat for the day. Or, oh man, he's up yeah. too. <laughs> well, he, I don't know if he chooses to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, um, but then I have my own morning prayer and uh, meditation and, yeah. you know, exercise. And, you know, that period of time, I try to stay off my phone as much as possible. I'll do a quick glance because of my role, just to make sure there's no crises. Right. Um, and if I don't see any uh, red alerts, I, it's on um, with the rest of my day. I try to get in 32 ounces of water first thing before I work out. And yeah. through the course of the workout, finish my 32 ounces. And I'm describing an ideal morning because it doesn't happen uh, and, and with, with the same level of intensity, at least. I try to get elements of this in every morning. Right. I then uh, uh, pop in a, span a lesson on Spanish because I'm trying to learn Spanish. Um, uh, and I then, uh, yo hablo un poco español, <laughs> um, but, um, and then I'll, I'll turn to OPB or listen to uh, a book or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the mood is that I'm in. And, uh, by that time I'm typically on my way in, into work. So, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. real similar to mine. So I have to share with you some of mine, but no, that's really helpful. Um, so what are three tools that are indispensable to you on your job? And these can be, you know, anything, ca- yeah. calendar, phone, mm-hmm. just whatever it is that really uh, dials you into uh, leading the work you do. Okay. Well, I don't, I think when, <laughs> when you said leading the work, that kind of shifted because I'm thinking, um, your your devices lead you if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And so what I've gone back and forth with digital planners and stuff. So I love my iPad, but I, what, I, what I'm finding now being in a new role in the brain science that says writing really helps you retain and writing and that stuff. So I've been, I've been using a journal and making lists and then verifying, you know, like beginning and end of day, yeah. what my priorities are. And then, you know, obviously forecasting out. But um, I think having something to journal the, the ideas, capture the tasks, those kind of things, monitor to see if I'm actually hitting the, my priorities for the day um, so I can drive the day and it not drive me. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, writing to me is, uh, that's one of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really enjoy it, too. Uh, mm-hmm. The more that I prioritize it, the more um, I feel more productive. Yeah. So. yeah. Let's talk about your new role. So what are some of the key policies and priorities um, that you're focusing on uh, regarding education? Focus is such a <laughs> beautiful word. It's often evasive in education um, because I feel like we often have two, three hundred. OK, so literally we had over two thousand bills in this last session. Right. <laughs> right. Talk about focus. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, there were over, I believe, 600 that were related in some way to education. And then now we're down to 115 pieces of legislation that have passed. And, um, you know, so it's going to be difficult. Right. To to really have focus and depth of implementation of, you know, at the level that we would we, we would desire. But. Fortunately, our governor and I think us as educators haven't been in the, the system a while. Um, we've y- used this opportunity to set some key priorities that help us prioritize, you know, the ways in which we go about implementing those pieces right. of legislation. Yeah. OK. And um, of some of those um, new initiatives, what are some of the ones that you uh, really feel have a positive impact on students and community? Yeah. Several do. Um, I'm really excited about the Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander success plan opportunity that we have. I think that's um, amazing. I'm excited about, of course, our early literacy initiative, um, because we know when we start early, um, we change the trajectory of children's lives, literally, by how well they can read, write and um, problem solve and all those kinds of things. Um, and just all of the pieces that keep our children safe, that keep our children in school. Um, there's some bills that are technical fixes and things of that nature. And the reason why those things are important, the more, the, the more time we can save you at the district level, the building level, the classroom level, the more time we can save people from, you know, bureaucracy so right. they can focus on education. I think it's, it's better. And for the uh, listeners out there unfamiliar, what uh, do you want to share about the Early Literacy Success Initiative? I am so excited about Early Literacy Success. Um, We just we have an opportunity uh, to uh, transform early literacy with the way we've done our our legislation. 
I think Oregon is unique in um, a few ways because we center culturally responsive practice in addition to good practice in, in um, reading instruction. Yeah. And so, of course, the goal of the early literacy initiative is to improve reading, right? We need to make sure that all kids can read and thrive at high and write at uh, um, high levels. We also want to eliminate any form of disparity, you know, so not just exactly. achieving. We need each and every group to feel, um, you know, like they are benefiting from these efforts and the, these resources. And we need to do that, one, by um, helping with professional learning opportunities, implementing best practices in the core instructional yeah. uh, curriculum. Right. You know, we got to do good strategies during the day. And then that that reduces, hopefully, the need for, ex, um, you know, um, all of the support structures and interventions. But should they be needed, um, let's go in on after school time. Right. Let's go in on summer learning so that we can maximize and accelerate uh, what our students um, can do. So I think the early our early literacy initiative, like I said, the fact that it says do all of this in a culturally responsive way, yeah. it, it helps us pause and think about that. Because what we do, we go off and running. Oh, science of reading is great. And then we reproduce the same uh, deficits and outcomes that we've had for years because people have used it and the results continue to be disparate. But if we get real intentional early on, I think we are going to do some amazing things because we know what happens when um, students can see themselves in the curriculum. They can see others in the curriculum. Right. Uh, let me say this right it's here. Powerful. Let me say this. We often think about diversity and diversifying curriculum and uh, creating these opportunities as if it only helps marginalized groups. It helps everybody. It has to be about windows and mirrors. All students need to build empathy. They all need to know about the contributions of other cultures. Right. It is healthy. It is healthy to be able to look across difference and appreciate it. And we need to create the space in order to do that. And so um, I, I think we, you know, once we move out of fear and we move into hope and possibility, the conversation we can have through this culturally responsive practice is going to be transformative for our communities and transformative for our children. Right. In terms of the future, so five years out, mm -hmm. what do you think the um, world of education will look like? I, I hope that um, we are back to loving education, loving learning, people getting excited about what our children are doing. Um, we move from binary thinking, either or, mm -hmm. um, that we see the full continuum we create conditions for people to have healthy dialogue about hard things and still love each other at the end of the day. And we model that for our children right. so that they see themselves growing up in a healthy community. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think I heard earlier um, that families, you know, want their children to learn, but they want them to be safe. They want them to be loved. They want them to have opportunity. They want people to believe in them. Yeah. And so uh, I hope in five years that we're much, much closer to that. And of course, that our children are, are achieving at high levels academically. And if you could be remembered for one thing, what would you want it to be? Making a difference. Uh, 
she wasn't, you know, just talking the talk. She walked the walk. Right. And this is the difference it made. So next we have some questions uh, for the audience just to kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, so <laughs> uh, these will be coming out of nowhere, but just... Uh, you know, whatever you got, uh, you know, you can be as transparent as possible. So what are three books uh, that you would recommend uh, for the audience of listeners? And I, I think our audience of listeners is like um, educators, teachers, classified staff, administrators, aspiring leaders, um, but also uh, just parents that are interested and supportive of K-12. Dr. Coakley, you got me opening my Audible app. I'm... I'm out here. First of all, there's three three of my Spanish lessons in here. I'm doing the Pimsleur uh, Spanish uh, uh, level three right now. Um, but I would recommend, I would recommend, don't let the level three fool you. I'm, I still struggle <laughs> when I start speaking, but I can understand a lot more than I could say. Entiendo. Gracias. Um, so I would say the 12 hour walk. Okay. Uh, was very interesting. Um, is very interesting. I would say read the book, the twelve hour walk. I want to do a twelve hour walk, and if you're interested in doing one um, after you read the book, uh, let me know so we can we right. can um, do that together. Um, right now, I'm starting to read um, Designing for Belonging. Um, I think that's a good one. Um, there's so many, there's just so many books. There's workbooks, there's, you know, leadership books. Um, oh, my. Oh, The uh, the Sum of Us. Some of Us. You got to read that book. Okay. Yeah, it sounds really familiar. You got to read that book. The Sum of Us is, it just, you know, it will deepen your equity lens, your, your um, understanding of our history. Um, I think it, it would just give you, you know, for those who do like to quantify yeah. what, what's happening um, to us as a society at the cost of, you know, racism, oppression, et cetera, read the book. It's a powerful one. And then on the uh, same line, what about uh, movies? Do you have any uh, recommendations uh, for movies? We are a Marvel family. <laughs> I just want to say. I, I was telling folks, you know, when Black Panther came out, we, we walked in there a little different, you oh, know, yeah. representation, but the I movie was, was phenomenal. It was. Phenomenal. And then, yes, we wore white for the last um, uh, one with, um, you know, the tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. But, you know, so, um, yeah, we like the Marvel series for sure. You know, we show Batman some love. I love all the Batman movies, uh, Dark Knight and um that kind of thing so okay and then of uh songs what are your uh three so songs that you would say these are your theme songs <laughs> my theme songs okay wait uh fine mary j blige just fine yeah um i love that song um You can, you can go old school, you can go new. You I go. know. I'm, I got a lot of church songs in my head, like <laughs> um, more than anything. Uh, I, wow. Theme songs. I can do all things. Yeah. It's yeah. a great song. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, Dr. Williams, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. And, uh, 
we will um, get this out and up. I think there's been a lot of um, nuggets of wisdom that you shared to the listeners that they'll really be able to um, really get to know you and just dig in and kind of listen and rewind and, and get some of that knowledge that you shared. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Um, if, as I understand it, it's aspiring leaders yeah. potentially in this. Um, yeah, just, I hope you pursue leadership. We need you. We need diverse perspectives. We need humble warriors, uh, relentless people who will fight for what our children deserve. Right. And you'll find out there are more allies out here who want to do it with you. So you're not in it alone. We're excited that you're in your new role and thank you. And thank you for joining the Leaders Build Leaders podcast. Awesome. Thank you.